Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive in these challenging times. We will be interviewing business leaders, owners and experts in the field of business resilience. Welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive. Uh, Today I have uh, Omar Harris. Uh, Welcome, Omar. Thank you very much, Julian. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's good to to see you uh, and hear you uh, this afternoon for me and the morning for you. I'm just going to tell our audience a little bit about you. Uh, You're you're the founder and managing partner for Intent Consulting, a management consulting firm focused on enhancing employee experience and managerial effectiveness. And you are author of two books, and I know there's another one coming as well, which I'm sure we'll we'll, we'll talk about. Uh, you're a motivational speaker, and you're a high-performance uh, leadership coach. And as I always ask everybody who comes on the show, because I'm really nosy, really interested, uh, what do you love about what you do? Well, what I love about what I do is that, yeah, I used to do this for my companies that I worked for in my corporate career, which was really inspire, develop, create purpose for for individuals and organizations. And now uh, in my consulting practice and speaking and writing, I get to do that for the world. So I think that I really love helping people tap into, first of all, find their purpose and then turn that into uh, reasons for constant development, constant inspiration, and constant progressive action. So I think that that's really um, what I get up to do every morning, and it's been uh, it's been a fun ride so far. Brilliant stuff. And I'm, I'm curious that the switch from sort of the corporate world to your own sort of business. Uh, what what prompted that? Just out of curiosity. Well, this is the second time I've actually made this movement. I made it about. Eight years into my corporate career when uh, I worked in pharmaceuticals for over 20 years and I worked for a company called Sharing Plow and they were purchased by a company called Merck. Um, and so when they purchased Merck, I decided it was my time to kind of take a little bit of a break from the from those that eight year kind of mm-hmm. rat race I'd been on. And then the same reason happened applies to 2020 as well. I was working for a uh, pharma company called Allergan as a general manager in the Brazilian market. And they were purchased by a company called AbbVie Pharmaceuticals, uh, and the deal closed in May 2020. And so I also decided at the time was a good moment after having spent another eight years uh, globally this time, that it was a good mm-hmm. time for me to kind of uh, uh, stop and really invest back in helping and share what I'd learned over the last eight years. Um, and plus, I had published two books by this point, so it was time for, really for me to move, move up and out um, and, and, and really chase my own purpose. Brilliant stuff. That's fantastic. That's great. And you launched your business is that last year, the Intent Consulting? Yep, July of last year. Yeah, right in the middle of, of everything. So yes, yeah, and uh, yeah. that's that's great. And I know you're you're helping people with that, which is why uh, you you launched it and 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 flourishing with. And and I just want to, I suppose, take that thought of the last year where I think leadership has really come under the spotlight even more so, and how you should lead, the best way to lead, and what's the most effective way of leading. And, um, you know, this whole sort of empathetic servant leadership is sort of sort of bubbled to the top and um, I think has become more of a prominent thing. And I, I suppose for me, I want to understand a little bit more, how would you define servant leadership and, and, and then move on to why is that an effective way of leading? Well, I tend to stick to the traditional definition of servant leadership, which means reinverting the hierarchy of an organization away from 
the 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 work creators or the bosses and towards to the value creators, which are the employees who create value for the customer. So whoever is working closer to the customer, those are the most valued employees in the organization, not the actual CEO, board of directors, people who are what's well, like, like work creators. Um, and because of that orientation, it requires leaders to lean in to people a lot more and to understand issues on a deeper level, understand, see people, not see roles, uh, be a bit more creative, leverage tools like positive psychology, um, high performance team building principles, high performance coaching. So it requires a different capability set in order to um, re-engage the, the workforce. Because right now we're seeing a global dis- a global engagement crisis across the world around employee mm-hmm. uh, employees' uh, engagement, activation and productivity at work. And so this is really the right time for uh, a renaissance of servant leadership. I mean, this is not a a new topic. This has been around since the 1970s. Robert K. Greenleaf was the first to kind of write a paper on the leader, the servant as leader. Mm -hmm. And here we are 50, 60 years later. And the the idea, it's time has come right now because right now we're living in arguably the most diverse workforce in history. Yeah. And although the top of the house in many countries and, and around the world have, may not have changed that much, below them, everything has changed. More females, more different races, ethnicities, you know, genders, uh, sexual orientation, religions, everything has changed. So the, the same rules of leadership are not going to apply and be able to engage today's workforce. And that's why servant leadership is so crucial now. Um, what What is it about the certain leadership that would make it, not only effective now, but an effective model to lead um, in terms of taking businesses forward and, you know, making sure that they continue to grow not only from a people sort of talent point of view, but also from a financial point of view, because that's really important, obviously, because without the financials, the business doesn't survive, does it? Um, So how do we distinguish between those those hard numbers and those more soft numbers, I guess, in terms of that? Well, I would say the people number is a very hard number. And any in any company's PL, it's the largest cost base of any company is your people cost. Mm-hmm. And it's seen as a cost center versus a profit center. And servant leaders understand the people cost, the human capital cost of the organization as the most important uh, 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 basis for growth in the organization. So, and we invest so little in that human capital versus what we invest in product development, research and development, you know, different kind of programs mm-hmm. and initiatives. And it's it's really uh, a shame. How can you actually fully realize the vision of your organization or your product if you're not investing in the human capital? So really, um, I look at that as a very hard cost. And and when I talk to uh, talk to CEOs and, and whatnot about about this, it's really reorienting them about, about how they're utilizing that human cost. Are they utilizing their HR spend for more processes and systems? Or are they leveraging their spend on onboarding, talent retention, and managerial effectiveness? Because that's where you actually can transform the ROI from that cost into something far more productive versus simply hoping that 20% of your employees become stars, 70% marginally improve, and 10% you constantly move out, which is the old way of thinking about uh, organizational uh, effectiveness. Uh, I agree. And do, do you think this this pandemic has sort of, I suppose, shook the tree a little bit in terms of uh, making those organizations um, that perhaps weren't very much sort of uh, people focused or weren't very much in terms of engagement? Has it, has it sort of been a wake up call, do you think? And do you think how, how can we sort of help those companies who perhaps thinking, oh, my goodness, 
what's going on here? Uh, you know, no, forget the, the sort of the impacts of the client loss or, or or the sort of financial things. It's it's exposed things within the sort of how to lead or how to manage a business as well, isn't it? Well, I think the pandemic was a great litmus test for 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 purpose in organizations. Um, there were companies who leaned into purpose, and there are companies who leaned into profits, and you can see the difference clearly, starkly, uh, mm. in how companies reacted when the pandemic actually occurred. But for me, I think that what what, what was a bigger change because of the pandemic was the fact that leaders became became inconvenienced, and when they became inconvenienced, they realized, oh, other people are suffering as well in my organization. <laughs> and maybe I need to tap into that and lead into that and understand that a little bit better. So it was them losing privilege and access that forced them to think about and rethink about, oh, uh, I have 100,000 employees globally and everyone's going through this, not just me. I'm not the only one inconvenienced by this. And maybe it's time for me to talk to people and try to understand what they're going through and for the first time really care about someone's well-being. If I'm in a mode of trying to keep my, my employees around, I've plenty of companies furloughed people and cut people and just went bottom line oriented immediately. And um, they're going to suffer. We're going to see the suffering of those companies for years to come because, you know, knee jerk decisions mm. um, in moments like these definitely have long term consequences. And we'll feel those for, for many years to come. Oh, totally. And I think um, we had the financial crisis here in 2007 and eight, And it's interesting. I think there's a, a fact where companies who were struggling uh, made a lot of people redundant, um, as opposed to those companies who, I suppose, manage that pay, but maintain people, whether that's part-time basis, you know, try and keep that human capital right. actually better than the ones who made redundant or recovered quicker. Because uh, I think People forget when you've got a human being in your organization and you've invested training, time, your cult, everything in it, they are an asset. And I think people forget that. And I'm talking in the right sense, in a right, a good asset. Yes. And, and I think they forget actually, uh, if you let them go, you're not going to get them back because they're going to go off to a competitor or somewhere else. And you've lost all that. And I think people need to be a bit more mindful when they've invested about your people. And I know some people have to make people redundant. And there's a reality of, of costs. I know that. But actually, as you said, if we get back to thinking about our purpose, which makes us think bigger and makes us think a bit more solution-orientated and think differently, yeah. that way we can really start to drive and maintain people and get people continue to be engaged and, and sweat, sweat them in a, in, a, in a positive sense for going forward. Well, companies are horrible at two things. They're horrible at employee onboarding and they're horrible about talent succession. So they do these two things horribly. And so whenever you lose an employee, that drain, that brain drain you lose because you didn't have succession. So you didn't have a handover. Mm -hmm. So someone has to step up into that role. And if you hire them from outside the organization, you're not effectively onboarding them either. So then they come in and then you've lost a significant amount of productivity and knowledge and know-how that is almost irreplaceable. And that's what people need to start thinking about when it comes down to human capital management, human asset management mm. um, is, is the loss factor. Um, talent retention is the, the issue of our age. Um, the tech companies know this, but everyone else is just now finding out that it's all about talent. And yeah. everyone, but the servant leader understands that everyone is a talent. That's the difference between servant leaders and traditional leaders is that I'm not looking to hire one or two stars. I believe that everyone, if, I, if I've managed 10 people, all 10 people are stars in their you know, own unique right. And it's my job as a leader to extract the brilliance from every one of them mm. um, and develop every one of them so that I have an organization 
of talent, an organization of stars. And that's when you're really flourishing. And it's really hard to do, but that's what servant leaders are better to, able to do better than their more bossy, uh, egotistical counterparts. So that, that to me sounds like a bit of a mindset change. By taking, rather than saying, I've got this team, what can they do for me? And sweating the, the high performer, so to speak, actually having that perspective of how can I optimize all of these, which obviously is better. How right. do we how do we get leaders in that mindset or in a place where they become more or willing to be adopt a more servant leadership approach? Well, I think they need to recognize that that first of all, they have to unlearn some toxic boss behaviors. So there are toxic behaviors that have to be unlearned, and then servant leadership principles that have to be. Uh, acquired and absorbed. And in my talking with organizations, this is one of my starting points is, you know, really a few things you have to unlearn. First of all, you work for the people, not the other way around. Um, Don't try to control things you don't have control over. Mm -hmm. Um, A teams versus A talents. Yeah. And the power of poverty psychology to drive results. And all of this is empirically backed. So for your leaders who want to see numbers, we've got numbers to prove that these things actually work. For uh, for people who are more emotional or intuitive, they get it. They grab on to these things. And the numbers, once again, I just show the Gallup global engagement results um, that as, a, as a stark conclusion. And I said, listen, when was your last employee engagement survey? How are you doing as an organization? Mm-hmm. And what are you really doing? Because a lot of companies... Uh, asked there when I was a general manager, we would do these employee engagement surveys and the GMs would have to feed up our plans for our organizations. Um, and all of it was kind of like cookie cutter. It was not really adding value. What really adds value is a holistic shift in how we manage our people. Mm-hmm. If you want to really impact employee engagement, you have to rethink managerial effectiveness and the rules of management and uh, go from managers to high performance coaches. That's the move. Um, that has been empirically shown to drive significant returns on that human capital and human asset uh, base that you have in your organization. So that's, so I, I get that. And that's using um, data. So it's data driven. It's, it's factual, which means it's, it's, it's been, mon- it's been um, measured and which is obviously yeah. important. It's not just a, a willingness. Um, so you go into an organization and you get the, the CEO who's on board with it and he, He's really engaged with it. How do you take those one or two leaders, and you, I'm sure you've experienced this, who are not quite there or seem to be a little bit more uh, opposing that style? How do we get them into that place of seeing the lights and taking this yeah. as, a, as, a, as a way of leading in a more positive way? Well, you know, uh, I learned this back at an old marketing class. You have judo and you have karate when it comes to hand-to-hand combat. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I prefer to use I judo. I love analogies like that. Go for it. Yeah. yeah. Go. So, so judo, meaning that you use your opponent's body weight against them versus a hand-to-hand combo with karate, which is more combative and directive. So um, senior managers actually don't care how stuff gets done. This is, a, this is a fact. They care about what gets done. They care about the result. So I go in and say, listen, all I need is clean cover for you to let me go in and, 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 and activate your middle management line. You know, what gets delivered will be exactly the same or even more. How it gets delivered will be foreign to you, but it will work. And mm-hmm. so I have to basically kind of explain to them the journey and the process to go from a what driven organization to a how driven organization, how you lean into purpose, how you activate 
um, positive psychology throughout the organization, um, how you focus on teams versus individual talents, and basically just take them on the journey to show them step by step, this is how we make this change happen. This is what you should expect at each stage of the journey. Um, and this is about how much time it should take to make this uh, this transformation occur. And, oh, by the way, some people aren't going to make it. So um, you, you can't go into this thinking that all of your managers are going to make it through this transformation. Another Gallup statistic, 89% of people promoted into management are the wrong people. 89%. Oh. <laughs> it's that means we, we don't even the prom- get so they're promoted on they're promoted on their their skill. Yeah, we hire the... great. I mean, you know, in, in pharma, it was you take super reps, turn them into managers. No, uh, a super rep very rarely makes a great manager. What made them a great rep? The skill set and the capabilities and the concerns uh, are very different. Managerial managers have a, a the early early in your managerial career, you have a concern for people you want to deal with people's issues later mm. on the higher up you go the less you want to deal with people's issues <laughs> you want to <laughs> deal with operational issues and strategic things um but you can never get away with dealing with people's issues and that's the whole that's the whole problem is that with our traditional hierarchy of moving up and changing our our, our emphasis the more the higher up you go the better a problem solver and organizational activator you need to become not mm. less people oriented you need to become and that's a fallacy of of the traditional hierarchy, which is why we have to invert it and come back to serving leadership principles. You said a word or two words, which I, I quite like the sound of, and I'd like you to expand a bit upon that is organizational activist, I think. And and what does that mean? I mean, it, I sort of understand it. I could understand what it might be, but what, what do you say it means? Well, I mean, you need, you need change agents in an organization. You need people who are good at getting people moving. These are your true leaders, people who speak and people follow and they, and they move and they act. And, and you need to get those people in front of the right people with the right message to get mm-hmm. things moving in an organization. Uh, nothing changes without change agents. And these people are the people who are your why people. They're always the people who are challenging the status quo, asking the why questions. I love why people because mm-hmm. they're the ones who ensure that our company is going to be different next year than it was this year. And they keep asking that why question. What happens when you come into a company is, you know, you go into your onboarding and you're told all the all the what's and, and the how, but your why questions go unanswered. It's just the way it is. We do this this way because this is how it is. But why is that the how it is? You know, and that's where people coming from outside to your organization have the greatest value in mm. challenging the status quo of your organization. So I would also look at anyone who's joined in the last two years. I'm sure they have a lot of why questions that they can utilize to kind of challenge the status quo in your organization and drive these transformations forward. You need these why people to make mm. it happen. No, I agree. Having new people join gives a fresh set of eyes on the organization. And often exactly when I've hired people, I've, I've valued when they've come in, I've almost said to them, you know, tell me something that we're missing or something from your competitor, from your, from experience. Yeah. And we'll have a look at it and we'll take it on board. Might not take it all on board, but actually we want right. to have a different angle on it. And I think that's really important. Um, just moving on, because we, we talked offline a little bit about how you saw the sort of certain leadership really as a bit of a almost a foundation. Yes. And then yes. building upon that, what what what's the sort of next sort of building block from your perspective? Yeah, so I think that we're evolving past so we're 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 ending the age of boss dominated leadership. I think that age yeah. is is ending. Um I think we're in the age of servant leadership. I talk about this in my book, The Servant Leaders Manifesto, that we are in the age of servant leadership right now. 
but we're not going to stay here. We're transitioning to an age of stakeholder capitalism. Stakeholder capitalism means that you need to add value to more than just shareholders. You have to think about employees, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders in terms of how we're being measured from a corporate standpoint. And the way that you deliver enhanced outcomes for stakeholders is via a concept of Jedi leadership, which is leaning into corporate social justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Once again, taking the, the principles of people, power, people, power, and then filtering it through the lens of, okay, let's let's write the injustices in our company. Let's write the inequities in our company. Let's leverage the diversity of thought uh, and experience in our organization. And let's include all the, all the voices so we can constantly be on uh, ahead of the curve in order for us to do the same thing with our stakeholders. So then there's justice for employees, there's justice for customers, there's justice for communities, there's justice for the environment. There's there's equity for employees, customers, community, and the environment. There's uh, diversity in all those terms, and there's inclusion of all those inputs from those, those different fonts. And that's how we begin to elevate the standard of leadership for the next 10 to 20 years um, so that we actually can deliver on the promises of stakeholder capitalism. So that's almost the whole sort of obviously diversity inclusion, which is obviously your your D and your I, and then the sort of justice was it equity was that other yes, one was it yes, equity? Yes. Um, does that tie into sort of corporate responsibility as well? I guess is that a sort of part of that bigger? Well, picture, I mean, which... justice is a is some similar to corporate social responsibility, but we look at social responsibility more as external, and corporate social justice starts internally. There are a lot of uh, uh, the bedrock of corporations is not necessarily, at least in America, it comes from a bedrock of, of slavery. And, and some of the principles and practices are still have been there for thousands, for hundreds of years and not really been eradicated. So there's a root of, of unjust and inequitable policy within our own company that we have to root out and eradicate and deconstruct to reconstruct. Um, I, I say that, you know, uh, uh, every company needs to go through this phase now of really going back and looking at the way they operate from mm. through the lens of people in their organization who may be feeling or be feeling uh, that there have been justices, injustices uh, happening against them uh, and inequities, especially if we talk about females uh, in, in mm. web business right now. I mean, there's a huge inequity around the fact that only 7% of the Fortune 500 company CEOs are women right now. Yeah. You cannot tell me that, uh, that, that, White men are so brilliant that that basically they, they should dominate ninety three percent of of the of the corporations. I think it, that's an example of the kind of inequity. Oh, and what, what, do you know any figures on on black men or women in those? Well, there's only there's only three black male CEOs in uh, the Fortune five hundred currently right now, and right. I think only one black female CEO in the core of Fortune five hundred. I think it just got announced the the CEO of Bed Bath and Beyond is a black female. Um, mm. So I think that, you know, the statistics are are glaring about the inequity, the inequity. Mm. Uh, and remember, you know, when you arrive at these levels, when you get to the VP, senior VP, uh, you know, COO, you know, it's, we're not just talking about uh, influence over an organization's direction. We're talking about financial benefits that could that can build generational wealth for for people, for families and communities that mm. have been systematically they haven't had uh, access to. 
Mm. And 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 it's like sort of like a, a pirate's treasure, pirates hoarding their treasure. You know, it's time to let go of the treasure, man. We're coming, we're coming in the door. We're coming for it. Yeah, so, so you can't hoard it anymore because we know it's there we're, and, and it's time for that to be shared. So I think that's really the J and the E are crucial elements. You cannot make organizational change happen without first addressing your own house, your J and your E, your sense of justice and equity. Um, and the way you do it is by by leveraging inclusion. So you start by including. If you don't have the right voices around the table, then that's where you that's where you have to leverage your diversity. So 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 everything. If you want to solve justice, start with inclusion and diversity, because that will allow you to then lean into those spaces to understand what are the inequities and what are the injustices that we have to address internally first. Right. That's why when I saw all the companies issuing all their nice statements last summer in the summer of protest, I was like, well. They're all talking about money they're giving to the community, but what about what are they doing inside the house? Mm. What are they doing? Tell me what you're doing to fix your house first, and then I'll believe you when you show me you're going to give $250 million to, you know, whatever the United Negro College Fund or whatever it is. Then I'll believe you. But if you haven't changed the inside of your house, then then these are just lip service and check the box actions that that don't really get the job done, in my in my humble opinion. Yeah. And also they are, are tax dedu- deductible as well. So exactly. yes, exactly. Um, not that I'm cynical about it, but um, there is a lot of that going on. But I like that, I like that focus of uh, that sort of justice and equity and starting with your own house. And it, that's that's really important. And that, and that does tie back to that whole being more purpose-driven. And Exactly. And uh, it's interesting, The I used to work for Johnson & Johnson uh, many, many years ago, who have a, a credo. A credo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of it, and it's yes, an upside, yes. upside down. Of It's yeah, all about yeah. the people, and then the profits are last. And it's an interesting approach, and it's a very – I was there over 20 years ago, so – um, I, I that's my first my first job, and that's what I thought companies did. <laughs> and, then and, I, they, and they don't. I mean, and J&J, J&J is one of the – you know, they're they're uh, one of the top big cap pharma firms, top five. They've yeah. maintained that 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 performance uh, with this orientation. And I also liked, you know, when I saw that J&J, their process around the vaccine for COVID was a bit more thorough and thoughtful because they are that company. Right. So yeah. so um, I think that there's, you know, a lot of things to be thought said about a company like J&J that's very. Uh, I, I love their CEO. I love what they're doing in their in their. I mean, they they do they do truly walk the talk, and so the kudos to J and J for sure. Oh, totally. And I say it, it, it pays off. We had companies. I was what, a part of a small company with it, with it, and we were hitting the, the KPIs of the financials at the park. Um, yeah. But it was so people orientated and so focused on this. What you're talking, and you're almost Jedi, and I really like that whole Jedi uh, aspect. And I think it's. Is building a bit more upon the just diversity inclusion, which be, not that I again me being cynical becomes a little bit of a tick box, and and I'm sure you've experienced it yourself uh, where oh we got to have the various types of people we're doing this policy that policy this starts to yep. become a bit big of a piece of thing. So just before we close, is there anything else you want to share that would really help companies get to a place to really start moving them forward to a place where they're operating like this and by default they will create a thriving business. So once again, it goes back to valuing the how as much as the what. And the how of servant leadership is leading with humility, intense will, and empathy. 
And so these are values. If you don't have humility, humility, will, and empathy in your value set, it's time to relook at your values because um, humility means that when confronted with a problem, you, 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 you are humble enough to understand what you know and what you don't know and confront the brutal facts of the situation, dig mm-hmm. down a root cause and then address root cause, not just, oh, I've got the answer. I'm the big boss. I've got all the answers. I, I thought of it in my shower this morning. And here's what we're going to do. Uh, no, that, 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 that's not humility. That, that's ego-driven decision-making. Yeah. Will means having the discipline to do whatever it takes to achieve the goal. So you would still your organization with discipline, discipline mm-hmm. thought, discipline people, discipline action. And then empathy. We are dealing with human beings, and so we have to lean in. And, and when I use empathy, I talk about an acronym, LOVE, which is L-U-V, which means listening, active listening, listening to understand, and understanding to validate. So if you're going to leverage and take your diversity and equity, uh, diversity and inclusion efforts to try to address your equity and justice situation in your company, you, mm-hmm. need to, you need to use love. Listen to understand, understand mm-hmm. to validate and then act. And I think that will be my lesson or my my message to, to listeners out there looking to make a, a shift. Brilliant. And I love your acronyms. Um, I love an, a good acronym. No, it, it makes it, it's memorable. It really does. I know people find them uh, sort of corporate, you know, but I think they're really good. No, they're really good. And so it'd be good for you to let people know how they can sort of engage with you and connect with you. Yep. Um, so how can we do that, Omar? So on LinkedIn, uh, Omar Lookman Harris or Omar L. Harris, uh, my, my website is www.omarlharris.com or www.intentconsultants.co. Brilliant. I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today and I thank That's you for, for coming on. And uh, yes, yeah, I really appreciate you, you taking the time out. Thank you very much. My pleasure. If you like this episode, then please do subscribe, do share with your friends and do check out other episodes in the series. If you're looking for support and help in your organization to create a resilient culture, then please do get in contact with me on julianrobertsconsulting.com. Thank you.